right, is everyone ready? Okay, deep breath. <gasps> Loud noise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> deep breath and weird noise. everyone to the outpost podcast we are so happy to have you here we've assembled a fabulous gang today we've got marcus we've got tom we've got daffron he's just mouthing all the words that i was saying and he actually did a really good job i could just like mouthing off i could see daffron mouthing the words that i'm saying and i could kind of picture my own voice coming out of his face he does a really <laughs> solid impression of you when you're not here he does how's everybody doing today Fantastic. We're doing fantastic. That's the word I was going to use. Um, Daphron, you Superbulous. Superbulous. Even though you're in a little bit of a pizza coma. Yes. What kind of pizza did you have? It was chorizo and oh. manchego cheese. Did you eat the whole thing? No. I left one slice for tomorrow. <laughs> for tomorrow or for me? Oh, or you can have it, yeah. Oh, good. I got pizza. half of Mark's burrito. Pizza's on you. <laughs> okay, so um, we want to give no. you a little pizza's update what's new at Orange Nebula. So... We recently installed a new basketball hoop in the office. And that's all that's new at Orange Nebula because <laughs> that was the end of productivity. Who in here, raise your hand if you've played with the basketball hoop. Oh, that's Look everybody. at all those hands go Okay, up. raise your hand if you... <laughs> Just look at them. <laughs> raise your hand if you've made a three-pointer. I haven't. Yes. I haven't. Derek right. made one from that cart. Full right course. Stood Seriously? On that cart. Yeah, that's like a <laughs> full court. impossible shot. Is it's that, like a one out of a thousand shot. Is that the best shot we've seen so far? Yes. It's probably the best shot we'll ever see. Okay. It's that good. Who can dunk? We can all dunk. Can it's we all? It's a mini hoop. Yeah. It's only like six feet <laughs> off the ground and with a five inch ball. I can dunk. <laughs> also, I hurt my hand pretty bad. <laughs> I did a nice layup. I was going full speed, nice layup, but then I whacked my hand right on the. You see it? Look. That's oh, yeah, that looks waxed. Stealing the ball. Right on the, she took so the ball whack. from me. I may have rolled my ankle in here by myself one day. <laughs> I, I was just thinking. Mark and I laid on the floor. <laughs> Mark and I came in here and played one on one, and I was thinking to myself, do we need to look at a new insurance policy now that there's a basketball hoop in, like on the job injury? Is that okay. a thing? Shh. Okay. Mark has a very so here's a legitimate question: Do we feel like having the basketball hoop has made us more productive yes. overall? Honestly, I would say yes if it's regulated. Why? <laughs> because we need those physical breaks to like free up our body from that crouched, slouched over position. Like, well, like I'm in most of the time. You are. You do a pretty getting good up, crouch. getting the circulation going, taking a walk, shooting a few hoops is great. I do you agree? Like agree completely. For two hours yeah. at a time. You I think know. we used to try to force that with other random jumping arounds and whatever we would get up and do. Natural. Just some, some jumping around. Um, Felt forced. But the basketball thing, there's nothing forced about it. Oh, man. Okay. I don't think I'm going to be able to look at Daffron once through this entire <laughs> no, podcast. Too bad it's not a video podcast. <laughs> it will be in the future. Yeah. Sorry. That has now been determined. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, one thing we've been getting a lot of lately is like I've been noticing that the mailbag has just been getting so heavy. It's just it's really oh, heavy, boy. and I don't know what to uh, do with it except Tom here. I've got it. Okay, how did Derek do? You're exaggerating. In my 
absence. <laughs> I think Derek did solid B. The it was fair. Did he polish the he brass on this? <laughs> I overheard that. He did a great he job. He installed a key code entry See, system. I, I know because just holding the mailbag, it's communicating with me. <laughs> and I even know what the code is. Really? Yeah. It's got like some artificial intelligence that mm -hmm. if you are the bag We master, just have a connection. That he makes sense. made it sound like there were like 48 boop, 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 required. Boop, 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 boop. How did he do that? He knows it. All right. Oh, glitter bomb. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. What do we got? Question number one. How did you get the board game geek job? I know hmm. people and have read comments in recent days from other people who've been trying to get that job for years. Did board game geek come to you? Did you go to them? How did that come about? I think the first way to address this is to explain what this question is about. Yeah. Explain. Proceed. Would you like to? No, you got it. Okay, so we have been hired to do a rebrand or a brand refresh for the Board Game Geek website. Yeah, the visual language, mm -hmm. an identity refresh, color palette, typography, iconography. This is our history and our, our heritage as a company, our background that has preceded board games by like a decade and a half. So yeah, we, through industry relationships, started talking more and more with them. And I think they saw kind of what we were capable of. And we just kind of started a conversation there. We just want, really wanted to help them show the world a more clear picture of what their real passion and their real heart is and the effectiveness of the thing that they have. And they want that to evolve, too. So, so did you ask them? Did you inspire that conversation? I think, yeah, didn't we initially take we took the initiative up front, right? And just kind of pitch the concept. Isn't that how that went down? We may have just nonchalantly said, hey, you know, if, if you need some advice, we can be big brother, big sister. I think part of the alignment that we found with them is their ideals and their values closely match ours. And they know that we've been in gaming for a long, long time. And then the fact that we've actually brought product into the market and we have branding background, we have marketing background and we have content background. We're problem solvers, we're creatives. I think all of those things really spoke to really what they wanted. They didn't want to have an outside agency work on branding without really understanding kind of some of the people in the industry and, you know, the connectedness that it really has. And so I think that probably, if anything, opened up the conversation, even though I will, I will say this. Yeah, we might have, we might have mentioned it and kind of just to see if there was any interest. And initially I think there was interest, but not deep interest. I think they're like, oh yeah, well, we've talked to some other people. And I think what we did maybe that was different is we took the initiative and showed them some visual style palettes and some mood boards and yeah, said, Hey, I, I want you to be able to envision what this could be. And that really got their attention. Mm -hmm. I would say more than that, there's a kind of a deeper friendship and trust between the people in their organization and ours. Like, like we really gel, but showing our competence and really just putting it out there. Cause that plants a seed, right? Like when you show somebody, they know their brand so well and their brand was dated, right? I mean, I, I'm not going to offend anybody by saying that, right? This no, is, not at all. Okay. To be able to plant a seed of what could be 
you know, show them a visual of what could be is so much more impactful than just talking about it, right? And Daphron, you've been working on that project quite a bit. How how has that been? Thoroughly enjoyed it. And to add to your point, there's a statistic that you're 65% more likely to win the client's approval if you're showing them work in context. Hmm. And that's the initiative part that I was talking about that, you know, we not only had the conversation or Mark did, laid the foundation, and then we actually took a risk on art because we had time involved and created some mock-ups and some visual style boards and then presented it to him. Mark went with his gut and we all kind of were on board with him Mm -hmm. and said, yeah, let's do it. And had a good gut feeling that it was worth the risk to invest that time. And it turned it out, turned out to be successful. Well, and from their perspective, it's scary to step out and make a change like that, especially Mm -hmm. when you have such legacy in your brand, they've been around for so long. They have such a strong community. Any change is going to be met with a whole lot of raised eyebrows Mm -hmm. and putting that in the hands of people that aren't part of your company is a scary thing to do. It takes courage. It takes trust. So I think showing them something early so -hmm. they could start wrapping their their hands around a little bit of trust where we would try to take it. And I think I think Mark is right. They knew going into it that we had shared values with them mm-hmm. and and shared heritage and actually care about their brand and are part of their community to begin with. Mm-hmm. So the, the trust is there. You asked me how, how it's been. So yeah, how has it been to that working point, on the project? Yeah, it has been it's been good. I've enjoyed it because they've multiple people have mentioned to me personally, you know, that that's the reason why we went with you guys because of your immersion in the culture, you know, like mindedness. Mm-hmm. Um you know, there's plenty of other studios that could do the work, but they just had a connection with us. And so we don't we don't recommend that anybody does work on spec. This was a scenario where I decided to just pay for the team to put something together and put it in front of them, whether they bought it or not. I was totally OK with that because I wanted to help push them in the right direction, yeah. even if they didn't engage with us as a creative professional. I think it's unwise to do spec work especially to respond to requests to do spec work where they basically want several agencies to do a bunch of work and then they're just going to pay the winner. That is very subjective and it's destructive to creative professionals who take pride in, in the craft. And so that wasn't the case here. I just decided, listen, we're going to do this. And if it ends up being a donation, great. I don't mean the, the identity, but I just mean, I understand. you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the visual style palettes and the mood boards and stuff that we gave them because we care. And, and we really want them to be successful. And I think that ultimately is probably what pushed them over the most is the fact that we care enough to push them forward and to get behind them and to partner with them is much more important, I think, in the long run. Okay, and sometimes great. people will will do that just to get the work. You know, hey, we got to, you know, put ourselves out there, but we'll get the job and we'll make money. Yay. But our main goal is just like we want we want to affect change so much in the industry that we yes. could care less if we're getting, it's not even like work. I mean, we're getting paid, but mm-hmm. it, it benefits everybody. Yeah. We yeah. are fighting visual pollution. We want to see you're fighting this visual industry. Pollution. I love yeah, to borrow a, a yeah. grappling term, but I mean, we're, we want to see the industry evolve and be more creative from a visual design perspective and more of an appreciation for aesthetics. And so if we can help uh, affect change in that way, that's we're on board. People are asking if we're going to be keeping X, Y, and Z functionality of the website. And the answer there is that we 
have nothing to do with the redesign of the website oh, or okay. not able to answer mm-hmm. those questions. You mean, yes. So the Board Game Geek website yeah. is getting updated. That's not the, our project. The work that we're doing will inform the visual language of the website, but we are not in any way touching the development, the programming, the functionality of the site. However, I will tell you that they are committed to doing that and it's going to roll out probably over the course of many months and they are going to do that and they are aware that there are improvements that, that can be made and those types of things and they're very eager to do it, but we are not doing that. Okay, good. What else? Anything else in that wonderful mailbag? Actually, there are a couple, but I'm going to just randomly grab one here. What other podcasts do you listen to? I'll give a confession. There's somebody on Instagram that I follow, that I've followed for years. Her name is Yoga Girl. I mean, that's not her name. Confession. But that's her channel account name. Her name is Rachel Brayton. And I have followed her for years and years. She has a podcast called the Yoga Girl Podcast. And I listen to her podcast a lot. And I watch all her Instagram stories. And maybe I'm obsessed and maybe I have a problem. I don't know. Maybe you are. Maybe I know everything about her life. Sure. Maybe that's a problem. I don't know. I listen to that one a lot. Is she discussing technique or just like, is it like more about her life? And it's what more kind of like, she's- it's m- well, the podcast itself is more about like personal development. Oh. Um, it's called From the Heart. So it's like right. just talking about, you know, healing from the human condition, basically. We all could use some healing from the human condition. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also, of course, listen to We're Not Wizards, you know, because we love him. That was the first podcast we ever got to be on. How about you, Defron? Listen to any podcasts? Two, mostly. Yeah, which ones? The Observatory. <laughs> what is it? What's the it's observatory? called The Observatory. What is it? It is Jessica Helfrin, Helfrin, I don't know how to pronounce her name, and Michael Beirut, two designers. Michael Beirut founded Pentagram, I believe he's the founder. It's a design studio. And I listened to Debbie Millman. Her podcast is called Design Matters. That's pretty much it. Those two primarily. Mark, you much of a podcast man? I listen to a few board game ones occasionally. I listen to a lot of TED Talks and master classes, kind of all audio content. So yeah, Ludology is pretty good. And mm-hmm. There's a few others in the industry. Yeah, there's a big list of board game ones. Um, Honestly, they're not my first go-to. I mean, I, I we have a pretty good pulse of what's happening, but I'm more interested in kind of some of the ones like like Daffron's listening to. Just design concept and design approach to me are a little bit more in line with the way that my mind works. And so it's not specifically you know for board games. It's much more for the art of design and creation and self motivation, self inspiration, that type of thing. Two that I listen to that aren't board game related, just assuming everyone listening to this is already versed in board game podcasts. Mm-hmm. I listen to one called Imaginary Worlds. Mm. And this guy's a former broadcaster who just explores fantasy worlds, sci-fi worlds, anything far out and fantastical and weird. But he looks at it from a really sophisticated viewpoint. So like there's a whole episode about how religion, world religion is treated in the book Dune. And there's a whole episode about why Daleks from Doctor Who would ever be considered scary by anyone because they're just a garbage can with some plungers on them. (laughs) So Imaginary Worlds is very cool. There's another one I really like called 20,000 Hertz Mm -hmm. where the host just discusses sound, which sounds boring. 
but it's not. <laughs> there, there's a whole episode about the sound of Hamilton. There was okay. a whole episode where they just explore the sounds of the dragons in Game of Thrones. And it, it, it makes you think about things that you consume every day from a totally different point of view. That sounds mm -hmm. cool. It's it, well done. <laughs> it is cool. It's very cool. Okay, great. Anything else? Any other podcasts? I listen to the science of social media, too. Yeah, I, I do the TED Talks daily thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm very selective about those, but yeah. Okay, anything else? No, let's skip forward. Okay, so main topic for today is career path analysis, okay? So I don't have a fancy term for it other than that. Well, we're all here, so we're just going to call it victory. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So yes. really the meaning behind wanting to do this is if the whole podcast that we have, the the kind of purpose that we have for it is to give a behind the scenes look of of what it's like to actually have a a creative agency, what it's like on a day to day basis, how we get along, what we think about, what we do. I think part of that is how we got here and it's all different and maybe different than what you might expect. So I want to mind everybody here about how they got where they are. And I think I should start with Daffron. So Daffron, tell me a little bit about how you ended up here. What have, what have you done with your career, your education that brought you to this point on this couch, leaning on that yellow pillow with the mic up to your face? You, you, it's orange. Okay. <laughs> it's orange. I know it's orange. I didn't mean to. It was an accident. Mom's trying to take my pillow away from me. <laughs> I, I touched on this last time I was on a little bit, didn't I? Kind of like a my little bit. career path. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I thought I wanted to be a cartoonist when I was in high school. That's kind of like my first when I noticed that I was really digging art and I kind of liked art because the people that were into art in school were the kids that weren't necessarily the jocks and the popular people. They're the people, the, the kind of fringe counterculture kids that I was attract, you know, attracted to. And for instance, I got beat up for wearing this same pair of shoes back in the 80s. Like for real beat up? Like somebody <laughs> the punched exact same you? same pair of shoes. Someone punched you? Moved from California and a couple of big old meatheads were like, you wear them shoes tomorrow, we're going to beat you up, boy. And really? You've I'm had like, that pair of shoes I, for 30 years? Not the same one, Uncle uh. Tom. <laughs> Uncle Tom. Uh, my feet did grow a bit. Um, <laughs> anyways. Were there cartoons uh, that you followed that kind of inspired you into thinking about doing that? The Far Side was mm -hmm. humongous in my life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was a little bit later than the 80s. I was early 90s, maybe. But anyway, uh, so yeah, I thought, well, I'm going to be a cartoonist and I've had some stuff published in newspapers, nothing, nothing big. And then, uh, yeah, I'm like, okay, well, I can't afford art school. How does one become successful at this? So I'm like, well, I'll get, I'm going to go in the military so I can pay for my art school. So I went in the Navy and I never knew you were in the Navy. Yep. Eight years in the NAV. And then that paid for, I, I went to the Art Institute of Seattle. And we just skip over that whole eight years. <laughs> eight years in the Navy. Yeah. Then I disappeared in the Navy for <laughs> <Yeah>. eight years. <laughs> No, that was good. I have no regrets. I saw a lot of the world and it made me grow up and, uh, you know, obviously paid for art school. And so first gig out of school was freelance job working with an agent for Gary. What was the glove, Mark? The Seahawks or Sonics? Gary Payton? Gary Payton yeah. It's called the glove. Gary Payton. So I'm working with his agent. You know, the school, I had nothing to do with this. It's not because I'm like amazing. The school places all these kids right out of, you know, here's some freelance gigs, you know. 
So, and they want cheap labor. So, <laughs> and I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. And I'm back and forth doing revisions. And then the whole thing went south. And it was just as typical with a lot of client designer relationships. There were some miscommunications. I took it personal. And I was like, I'm done with this, man. I can't, I'm not, I don't have thick enough skin to be a designer. So I didn't do anything. Just kind of went, put it away for a while. And then held various jobs, everything from driving a school bus to a Coca-Cola truck to a janitor really? to uh, you name it. <laughs> Still unhappy, though. Like, this mm -hmm. is not, I want to be an artist. Like, So I started messing around with fine art. I had a, a solo gallery show, mm -hmm. some really weird. What bizarre, kind of mediums just did you do? mixed media, like acrylic paint. He just cried into paint. <laughs> Pastel. <laughs> Basically, yeah. So that was a weird moment in my life. Some very weird paintings that actually sold. So I was like, well, okay, that's cool. I did that. I started to get into design because design, you know, is art, but it's a very lucrative career. It can be. There, you mm -hmm. can get paid, like, unlike trying to be some starving artist peddling my my paintings on the street corner so i'm misunderstood yeah. <laughs> beating him up for wearing his vans yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah for the record he's wearing checkered vans yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> slip on checkered vans so <laughs> okay so then that landed me at a company called Dekine, and they're an action sport company uh surf skate snow that whole thing and i was like i just worked in the warehouse and i and i did that intentionally because i wanted to climb the ladder there were no design mm -hmm. jobs opening i didn't feel qualified uh to get any of those jobs and uh, i'm like well i'm just gonna go in there and like with a good attitude and offer to do work for free if they so i did and they looked at my book and you know they're like okay all right we'll let you know if something you know i'm like well i didn't think anything of it <laughs> so, sorry this isn't worth free yeah we'll call you don't call us uh, well what ended up happening it was a very small company at that time and they got a new art director and he was looking for a, a clean slate. He didn't want anybody with an ego and somebody willing to learn, which was me all. I checked all the boxes and he gave me a job. I immediately like tripled my salary. Wow. And I was like, are you kidding me? I'm going to get paid this much, you know? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I just started out like back then we were. That's okay. Oh. You came here and we cut it back to a third of what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Startup life, baby. Uh we I did a lot of crazy things like everything from FedExing. We back then we FedExed magazine ads on CD because we didn't. I'm have sorry. To, Can you explain that again? Yeah. You FedEx CD compact disc magazine so we would, ads we would, on CD. Yeah, we would put ads together. We would build ads for various like snowboarding, skateboarding magazines, yes. mountain bike, and what have you, and then burn the the image on a CD and then run on down to FedEx and send them to the magazines. And I was so cute. <laughs> Uh, I was responsible for scanning in 35 millimeter slides from tons of photographers because we got. You were watching Smurfs when that was happening. Yeah. So also that's cute. That's what's cute. Smurfs are cute. Smurfs have been off the air for 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> so I did a lot of like just grunt work and then became a junior designer and then a senior designer and then acting art director for a, a while there six months until they found a new person because i thought i was ready for that that role to kind of and i was was kind of gunning for it but then i reeled it back and was like i'm not ready to be the art director was of this it still a thick skin company. issue or what kind of what no, was the I just, piece i was really overly ambitious and not quite developed in my in my ability as a designer mm -hmm. and yeah i just kind of reconsidered and i think it was a good move uh, mm -hmm. i scaled it back and then 
anyway, long story short, I left there after three and a half years, started my own design studio and screen print shop, mm-hmm. got into textile screen printing, cut my teeth on all that, took a job at a screen print manufacturer as a design director there, got, got laid off there, and then sent Mark a sappy email. Please help me, basically. Did you know him at all? I didn't know him, but I looked at two studios in this town, and I won't mention the other one, but there was only two, and I was like, these are the only guys in in this area that are cranking out work that I think is decent. And Mm -hmm. For only 39 cents a day, you can help the Daffy family. (laughs) So uh, I I filled out out his subscription card, and (laughs) he came in. I came in with my face rubbied up. No, I sent him a cheeky email that was kind of humorous. and you Was know, it humorous, Mark? I sent him, it got his attention. You know what got my attention was, was the witty. work. I don't, listen, we get a lot was of people witty. wanting to work at a creative agency. I think he's letting you down easy right now. <laughs> it wasn't that funny. <laughs> I, if it I, was, I don't remember. Oh my gosh. Way. However. But what did stick out was the work. The work, yeah. <laughs> In the work, in, the I work is on very fire. Very pleasantly surprised at how much good work was in that book. Obviously, so, mm-hmm. so that was he, wonderful. Yeah, Mark met with me right away and said, "Hey, I don't normally do this, but timing's right, and I like your work." So he, you know, he had to vet out the the relationship, and you know, he didn't know me, I didn't know him, and he gave me some some freelance work, some kind of low low hanging mm-hmm. fruit. I guess I don't know if that's right. Just, just low ball jobs. Fruit that. hanging somewhere. Yeah, don't worry fruit about hanging it. out all the places. Wow. And, <laughs> don't uh, worry about it. Just go watch that sale by. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I would like to think I proved myself, and then here I am today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crushing it. Yeah. Crushing it. Almost. I don't know how long. I mean, he's yeah. Three years almost. Incredible talent. Yeah. yeah. Quite a windy road there. Yeah, it's a weird, mm-hmm. weird road. Mine's well, super long too. I'm just gonna dive right in. Okay, go quick. right ahead. I'm just gonna cut you right off. That's fine. Um, Before you dive in, can I ask Daffron a question? <sighs> yes. Okay. <laughs> Time's up. Okay. So, uh, couch neighbor. I'm so now that you just went, you just relived all that. Looking back, do you have any major takeaways about how that career path brought you here? Like, were there key decision points that stand out to you as being important moments? I think leaving. And going out on my own was huge. I still look back and kick myself because I was, there's still people that work there that was were there when I was there. That was like 14 or 15 years ago, mm-hmm. you know, and they're killing it. And, uh, but I, I would have never, you know, you've heard that expression, people, I don't know, know how it goes, but it's, you know, you're always going to be saying, I wish I would have tried it and never did, you know, mm-hmm. and then feel bummed out about that. Well, I don't, I can't say that because I did it, you know, I took a risk and, Running your own business is dip, very difficult. You know, I did that for nine years. But, and, you, but you did that. Mm-hmm. But I did that and I gained valuable skill, particularly in the screen printing world, which has really helped me today. Like I've gained knowledge all along the way through all the stuff I did. Even the jobs that weren't related to design, some of them taught me discipline management, like Coca-Cola route, how to be responsible and manage your own route. I filled vending machines and the boss didn't care what I did. It's like, I don't care what you do. I don't care what time you get off work. But if I got people calling me and telling me that, why is the Coke out, boy? Mm-hmm. You know, I was going to get my butt kicked for that. So I learned time management and how to manage my own day. And two things that like are that. hugely important mm-hmm. in the creative Still world. struggling with it. <laughs> but one last thing as I'm looking at that, too, is Daffron, you said your 
you know, when you were working at, is it pronounced, I know the company, Dekine. Dekine, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you put together a book of work and just showed them again, you know, took the initiative and just showed them something, even if you knew that there was going to be no payoff back, which I think is, you know, another one of those pieces that we talk about a lot, just putting yourself out there and just seeing what happens, you know? Okay. Let's move on and let's, let's go to the other Mark. So Mark, you want to give us some input into how you ended up on this couch. Things total Mark show. Massively clearing your throat, being interviewed <clears throat> by what? a goober. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your, your career path. I won't give you the long version, but... Oh, good. When I was in junior high, I started to get excited about drawing and art. And design, I think, was a kind of a little bit further out, but I loved creating images and that kind of carried into high school and high school doodle a lot yeah oh yeah doodled and then my friend eric and i what we would do is we would start a doodle and then pass it off and then he would add to the doodle and it was a duo doodle to me yeah it was a duo doodle 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 that's just weird um it's normal if you're healthy and so yeah i went into high school and doodle checked yeah, right in the dwaddle. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> got a leaky dwaddle. That's what this problem is. And brought it home. There it is. <laughs> we went from cloaca to dwaddle. So wherever I was going, I'm Not sure it was cool. Um, but no, I, I I did go to college and, you know, pursued a degree in art and kind of developed and fine-tuned that into graphic design with an emphasis in color theory. What does that mean? I fine-tuned that into, you know, what kind of things inspired you, you know, moving in that direction? Did you find something you really liked doing? Were there teachers there that... Like Daffron asserted earlier, it's very difficult to make money doing fine art, expressive fine art, because it's so personal and it's it's not honed for client services mm-hmm. maybe right? not a not a broad audience necessarily or a way to eat yeah <laughs> so okay. that's the way i looked at it is i wanted to eat and so i thought gosh well if i'm going to be creative and i actually want to be able to pay bills and things like that i need to look at what those options are or i need to look at something else and so i took some computer science classes in college and basically just failed all of that because oh, i hated no. coding and my professor, I didn't even do, there was a, there Did was like an exam at the end that was 40% of my class and I didn't even do it. Oh. I, I went to the professor and I said, listen, I don't know how to do any of this and I don't <laughs> care about it. And the professor said, well, promise me you're not going to do this for a career. And then we'll go over and we'll show the entire class, your gallery, your, your fine art exhibition, and that will be your final. And so I got an A plus in the class. Nice. Yeah. So you went to the guy and you said, your industry is dumb (laughs) and I hate this. And you said, that's wonderful. Let me give you an A plus. Let's get him right on out of here. (laughs) Let me show you the door. Listen, I'm a pitch man. (laughs) How cool of that professor. Yeah. It was really cool. Yeah. I mean, professor was dialed and wanted people to be successful, but he obviously didn't want me in his industry either. So <laughs> keep this he's guy like, out. so long as I can keep you out of what smart yeah. people are doing, you can go draw pictures over there. And I make fun <laughs> of it that way. I obviously know that, you know, that's not what design is, but an uneducated opinion is, you know, you draw pictures all day. I have a mm-hmm. shirt that I was wearing for a long time. It says I draw Until pictures Until it got holes in it. And yeah. 
it had to go. So, <laughs> yeah, I that was down to like one cent per day. Yeah, use. it yeah, was. Uh, cost per use. Uh-huh. Anyway, we're, we're so derailed here. I'm trying to stay focused. This is, not but too, this is the rail. You're on the rail. I don't know if I'm on the rail. but It's just a really curvy rail. Yeah, yeah. that's what we're establishing. Mm-hmm. So that's it. No, no, it's not. Okay, well, college happened and then I got a degree and I found afterwards, in my case, and I'm not saying anything by this, but in my case, I didn't think the degree was not largely helpful for me landing a job. The only way that I was able to land a job was to go do work that I didn't learn in college. I learned some very strong principles. I uh, learned about the elements of design, the significance of design, and a lot of art history and a lot of color you know, theory. Yeah, I mean, foundational stuff. But nobody's going to hire you for knowing things. They want to hire you for doing things. Mm. And so mm. what I found was that I needed to do work on my own and slowly go from sucking at everything to getting okay to where the point where people would give us you know, a little bit of cash or some trade, mm-hmm. you know, I'd go to the pizza shop, I'd go to the coffee shop, I would do their menus and I would offer to do a bunch of stuff for free. And I, mean, I think you just got to scrap mm-hmm. when you're early, early on in your career in something like this, because it's difficult to earn this skill set. And there's a long learning curve. Over the course of many, many years, then I, I started working for some agencies. You also worked at Kinko's in Portland. Yeah, I was, I worked at Kinko's doing design work there. Yeah, it was desktop publishing, which is not yeah. design, right? Okay. That's like making coupons and cute little menus and stuff like uh-huh. that. That I, I managed at Kinko's, and so it was, or I, I was an assistant manager at a Kinko's. Had really didn't have anything to do with design, if I'm honest. I, lived, like there. Talk I lived at Kinko's when I was in art school. Really? <laughs> yeah. You didn't have the technology we have today, so you had to go to places. I had to take a floppy what were they three and a quarter inch hard disk i don't know god you guys are ancient a service bureau to get type output on a photostat machine oh my god and then paste it in yeah there was no the computer was not in our lives wow people used to work lacy back in the day i was like shut up that's so lame i know no it yeah things were different back then we didn't have cell phones either um it was called kinko's for one yeah (laughs) No, I mean, I had a lot of different jobs like that, but I, I worked for a couple creative agencies in Portland and the ones that I was working at kind of put you in the cubicle and wanted you to crank out work all day and not really have any input. Want you to make it look just like this. And it was a production job and I hated that. And so I decided that I just, I couldn't do that. I too could many work rules, too much structure. A cubicle, hated it. Mm-hmm. Don't like taking orders anyway. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I decided I was going to freelance. I had a couple friends that said hey well i work for this company i could probably have you help out Mm -hmm. and so my first job was like an eight thousand dollar catalog job this was in yeah like 99 or 2000 maybe how'd you land that that? no it was earlier than that it was like the late 90s Mm -hmm. i don't know i knew people and so he's a pitch guy well, that's that's a pretty good sized job for one. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. How'd you land that? Twenty year old something working at a home, eight thousand dollar catalog job, and so, well, that'll solidify your mind though. What you want to do mm-hmm. if, you can get, if you land in jobs like that every month, which I didn't. <laughs> but uh, if you're in your twenties, anything you can do for eight grand, yeah, that's mm-hmm. a career path right there. Mm-hmm. And I worked hard. Right, I wanted that to be worth twenty when I let it go, and they were really happy and stuff like that. But. I realized later that being a freelancer is not 
scalable and it's very difficult to build an exit strategy when you're working by yourself for time and materials. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's no residual income in that model. You have to build those around it. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just start collaborating with some people. And so I, I met another designer and he was freelancing and I was freelancing. And then we kind of brought in a couple employees and then that kind of started the whole thing. We got up to 12 people and there were some twists and turns throughout all of that. At one point I sold the company to a bigger company and went to work for them and hated that. And then I kind of started another company after that. And so at the end of the day, what you find is where you want to go when you're young is different than where you end up, no matter what that is. For the most part, you really can only make decisions that are going to affect you in the short term, but try to make those decisions in a way that will get you kind of where you want to go in the long term. Almost the same way with Daffron, where he said, you know, I went to work in the warehouse there, but you know, it wasn't because he wanted to work in the warehouse. It's because that was the next step in what a longer path might look like. Yeah. So I just started taking steps Mm -hmm. and I would say 20 years in now from 2000 to 2019, I've just now, I feel like this is definitely where I want to be with the people that I want to work with and the type of work that I want to do. We don't have everything that we're is on our, you know, objectives. But we do have a new basketball hoop. But we do have that. Amen. Full disclosure, it's our second basketball hoop in two weeks because we destroyed the first one with. It was destroyed. We did destroy that savage energy. (laughs) That pos did not last. (laughs) It could not handle our force. Um, This one's much better. It's mounted on two by fours and. You could throw rocks at it. It would that, be fun. The old rim yeah. was just depressed. It started to sag down and just mm-hmm. like feel bad about itself. <laughs> <laughs> and and we just kind of had to put it to rest mm-hmm. and bring this bring in a superstar. So anyway, I don't know where I was going with all that, but to where you are exactly right now. Nice. Yeah. I I I tell you the thing I learned from all of this is I giving yourself permission to to do what only you can do and what you visualize in your head as what you know is right and what you know brings you the most joy and the thing you're most passionate about is so much more important than doing what other people tell you to do in exchange for money that I wish I could go back 20 years and start with that mentality because we would be very different. Mm -hmm. I would be very different. So anybody listening, if you have any qualms or you're scared to start something or you're worried about something, do it anyway. Welcome to the club. Yeah. Don't don't make wild, rash decisions, but make calculated, risky decisions, because what you don't want to do is play it safe and then have regrets later. Just go for it. Tom, have you made wild, risky decisions to get here? (laughs) A little bit. Uh huh. (laughs) Kind of have a little bit. So. My trajectory will speak more to anyone who is currently not in a creative endeavor, mm-hmm. but feels like they should be mm-hmm. and feels like somehow they got on the wrong boat. When I was younger in middle school, like Mark, there we had this assignment once to write a creative story. And what just came naturally out of me was this like 30 page story of a boy surviving in the wilderness full of all these maps and illustrations. And I made this hand bound leather binding for it and turned and everyone oh else gosh. turned in like two pages. And everyone freaked out. 
And <laughs> like your teachers? Like my teachers. And then they showed it to all the administrators in the school. And my my family was all excited about it. And it just, it didn't seem like a big deal to me when I did it. I mm-hmm. just did it because that's what came naturally. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, when I realized, oh, everyone's telling me, hey, you should grow up and be a writer. And it was one of the few times in life that someone said something like that to me. And I agreed. It's like, yeah, mm-hmm. that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. I loved this. I want to keep doing that. And as I grew up that, you know, transitioned into other types of writing, whether it was creative writing or, you know, writing music reviews or I you wrote music reviews, I wrote music reviews and comic reviews and movie reviews like at different times for different publications okay. um, in high school and in college. Huh. And then in college, I studied new media communications, which was a mix of first I, I was going to study journalism and I got there and they said, no. No. They said no? They said no. There's no such thing as journalism anymore. Journalism is dead. Mm-hmm. Video and the internet has turned it into a whole different thing. You can't just write for a newspaper. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to also produce video content and blog content and social content. And so this mixed media thing. So took a couple entry-level graphic design classes and a lot of video production classes along with all the writing. And then life happened and I needed to get a job just to support my family. Mm -hmm. And I got a job with an event production company. And what we did was we would build music festivals, you know, or Olympic villages. So huge, giant circus tents and stages and all the like Olympic villages, actual Olympic villages. Whoa. So it was a very, very physically intense job. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of crazy hours. At one point, I dropped out of college and did construction for a year. Mm-hmm. The event production job, 50 times harder than working construction. Really? It was very intense. Mm-hmm. And that's where I learned to lead people. Because really, it was a ridiculous job. <laughs> and none of us should have done it. But Why? Be- because the working conditions were awful. Okay. The pay was awful. It was grueling. It, we would work 20 hours a day for... 30 days in a row. Wow. Just go, go, go. Mm-hmm. I had weeks that were easily over 100 hours all the time. But it, a job like that, it's one of those things. It's I actually took inspiration on those jobs from books I'd read about, and I hope this doesn't sound insulting to anyone, about leaders in the military mm-hmm. and what the experience that you know brothers and sisters in combat have with each other and let that inform what I was doing with my crew on these job sites where it's not about the job. It's about the people next to you, mm-hmm. you know? And so like you can't walk off, you can't quit. You can't put in your two weeks because where does that leave the person next to you that mm. you love? And there's also an addictive element that comes into these type of jobs that are so crazy where it's sort of like, this is insane, but I've reached a point where I am a machine mm-hmm. and you cannot stop me. Mm-hmm. And I'm just doing this because this is what we do. So I did that for five years. That's what we do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah seriously, that trades say, for this. We're going to use those assets here coming up real quick. <laughs> <laughs> this is a lot less physical. No one's breaking bones here. There's no deep knee-deep mud. Um, but yeah, the the uh, the grueling hours, we, we pull that off here too. <laughs> and then after that, I went and worked for an industrial supply company. Which means what to people? So my, my job there was mostly in operations and logistics so shipping things around the country lots of freight and things like that but the whole time through all these jobs you know when i was at the events job there would be so many hours spent watching the sun come up in some weird field somewhere 
you know, so I did lots and lots of just creative exploration in my head and writing. I have a whole filing cabinet full of scripts of comics that I've written. I wrote a whole, what I conceived as being a coffee table book about leadership. At the time, I was writing it to the guys that were on my team or that were on my crew. So it, it was more of a like, how to be a man my perspective on that mm -hmm. for the 18 19 year old kids that i was working with and i had this little lego star wars guy that i named mr vale and i would take pictures of mr vale just in weird random things so like so i had all these jobs that weren't by any nature creative mm -hmm. i couldn't stop myself expressing creativity just in weird random ways through those jobs but then when i got into the industrial thing you know now i'm 10 years into working and I think I did kind of let that flame go out a little. And there was a point where I just kind of got numb and all. Cause when, when you're in your twenties, you, you just think like, you know, someday I'm going to do this. I'm totally going to be an author. I'm totally going to get to write those screenplays. I'm totally going to get to make all these videos and do all these podcasts and do all these dreams that you've had. But then, you know, you, you start having kids and then you're talking about retirement plans and you, and you get life insurance and all these things happen. And you start thinking, well, I'm so entrenched in this life that I have. And I'm happy with what I have. And I'm happy with the decisions I've made because my life with my family is wonderful. And we have this great home. And maybe it's not about that creative fulfillment, maybe what I am about is my family. And, mm -hmm. you know, and so you just start letting those things go. And they did, they kind of went away for a couple of years. And I was focusing on my climbing the ladder. And I can't even imagine an email from you that wasn't full of whimsy, though. Like, did you have whimsical emails? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was still, still me. See, it's still squeezed out but, somewhere. But my aspirations <laughs> were mm -hmm. dormant. Mm -hmm. But then I started reaching a point where I don't think I consciously decided like now it's time to relight that fire. It just kind of flickered back to life again on its own. And I started writing random. Actually, what happened is once I was on a business trip in California and I had nothing to do in this hotel room, nothing to do at all. And I was listening to a live stream for a Kickstarter project. And it occurred to me that most people do not have time to watch this whole thing. So I like wrote notes of the whole thing and posted those to board game geek hmm. and that just turned into starting to post on board game geek all the time and then i started all of a sudden i'm rekindled oh maybe i should start my own website maybe i should do this thing i should do that thing i should start doing all these things and so i just start writing a bunch of stuff and i have all these plans of characters i'm going to make that write and all these different weird things i'm going to do a podcast and in that starting to spool back up my creativity and i had started working on a book i ran into mark and he sensed whatever he sensed and we started having a conversation and he brought me in to work on the lore book and one thing led to another and now i'm here but the real i think takeaway for me looking back is and there's a whole bunch of other stuff in between other jobs i did but the the real takeaway was don't let that fire go out and if you find that it has don't be afraid to let it flicker back to life and don't ever feel like your creative time is wasted, even if you're just doing it for you. Because the creative stuff that you're doing is you, like it's part of your identity. And if you are finding yourself in a position where you want to be doing something more creative, just put yourself out there for yourself and make the goal to be able to look back and say, I let that part of me 
live and I let it inform my relationship with the world and inform my relationship with people around me. And even if that's the only thing that ever happens, it's worth it. You don't know the power of the dark side. Oh my God. The giant is awoken. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I think you all are so smart. He's trying to make a case for the light side. I totally get it. He's absolutely right. You have to put it out there. You absolutely have to put it out there. And you hear it, it's almost, it's just cliche, right? To say, take advantage. You don't want to regret the thing that you didn't try. And the thing that always holds people back is fear. We've got a group of talent in here unlike any other right everybody comes from somewhere different we all have different ideas and perspectives and that mosaic that we make is so powerful together that amplifies all of our strengths which is amazing and if we just shine the light off of all of our flaws and all the things that we're not good at and we focus on these things that are our strengths we feel better about ourselves the group gets stronger. The dynamic is really powerful. And when we all get on the same page and we unify to make a game or a product or a website or a brand, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, you see the result is so chocolate much different pudding. than if you're just putting in time. There's a lot in chocolate pudding. Most of it's not chocolate. <laughs> if you want to be in a creative career and you're not right now, don't think for a second that the stuff that you're doing right now can't inform a creative career. Daffron learned... Mm -hmm. discipline with his coca-cola job i he learned paint mi mixing tactics when he Navy. cried into the mm -hmm. into the paint and those that's so important so many creatives don't make it as professionals because they don't have discipline mm -hmm. you know i come here and six months later we need to do a whole bunch of shipping oh okay i got this exactly you know it it's it's, it's amazing how much the things that you do you talk to any comedian and they will tell you, get out of these circles and just go live life because that's where the material real material is. is. Mm -hmm. It's So your creative life can always start at any time and be informed by everything that you've done. It sounds like every inspirational speaker I've ever heard talk, you know, you just have to go get it. It's not going to come to you. You have to chase it. You have to put the work in. You have to discipline yourself. Nobody else is going to do it for you. It's never going to be like gift wrapped and FedEx to you as a CD. Right, it's going to be something that you have to go do. Old school. Okay, so overall, wonderful job, all of you. I know it's not easy to kind of reflect back and try to go through that, and maybe it's just not easy for each of you to just be quiet and listen to each other do it. But you did a great job. It was really hard. <laughs> one thing, one thing that I kind of want to end with is one kind of ideology that I study a lot is the Toltec ideology, the author of the Four Agreements and that kind of thing, and their main core theory is that your life is your art. Okay. So all of us are creating at any moment and our life is our art. The actions that we choose is the stroke of the paintbrush. So, you know, whatever's alive inside of you, just, just go for it. Even if you're in your industrial paint finishes, even if you're in the warehouse, even if you're at Kinko's. What if we're dead inside? I don't have any, I don't have an answer for you, Mark. Then stop that. <laughs> become alive inside <laughs> okay anything else anybody wants to add before we close it up without telling us your story give us two takeaways from it from mine mm -hmm. 
if I was listening to this podcast, all I would think was, I wish those guys would shut up so we could hear from Lacey. <laughs> Preach. Okay, can I, I'll just do a couple little, I guess. Yeah. I grew up doing performing all the time. I danced from age three on. I did pageants, not the creepy, weird pageants, you know, where the kids are all in makeup and stuff, but like, like, like Little Miss Sunshine, not, not that. No, not like that, but okay. like talent performing, you know, you do interview questions from the time I was like literally five on. And so I feel so comfortable in that. You know, that's, that's, it's just what I, make myself do got my degree in broadcast news, but I didn't want to be a make no money and just to ask questions of athletes all the time. And so started my own business. And I guess I just have never, ever, ever wanted to follow authority. And so I would rather have something that is mine and do it the way that I want to, than have somebody tell me what to do, but I'm still scared. You know, everything that I'm doing still and now I want to do more and I want to do better. And I'm afraid still to take all the steps to keep growing and keep doing my own thing. If you could flip a switch and become unscared, would you? Mm, that's a hard question because my, my gut wants to say, yeah, sure, I would. And then I wouldn't be afraid and I would do it everything. But at the same time, everything that I've ever done that was worth anything started with the fear. Yes. Absolutely. And I can't tell if that fear is really like confused excitement. Does that make sense? Anxiety and excitement are very similar, except for the thoughts around them. Now, I have my own personal brand that I would love to do at some point that, you know, I'm just step by step trying to work through, but I'm still afraid. What do we say? If it's not a little scary, then it's not worth it. That's right. So I'm, I'm still afraid. I don't think that I've arrived anywhere. And people tell me that you don't ever feel like you've arrived somewhere. And so I'm probably doing just fine. Anybody out there who still is feeling like they're afraid and, and don't want to make steps. I, I feel the same way for a lot of things. It's easier for me to do other people's projects. It's easier for me to be a part of the Orange Nebula brand than it is for me to do something that's for Lacey. You know, I have a company that markets other people's dreams. Right. Curious. But you you're know? not as scared for those dreams to fail. Right. Because they're uh, not yours. Uh -huh. It's interesting to me that you're accomplishing both to watch that happen. Because what, what you're doing with the group is a symbiotic thing. And I think that part of me probably thinks that like when Daffron started working in the warehouse, you know, seeing that as a step as long as I'm making sure that I'm not putting so many steps in the way that it's keeping me from doing the things that I think that I'm made to do. I've heard so many stories like, like Daffron's where someone wants to be involved in some world. And so they just get in their foot in the door in whatever way, mm -hmm. you know, Oh, I want to work for Pixar. So I took a job cleaning after they closed mm -hmm. or I want to do whatever. Well, it's like with Mark. I mean, he, he was starting this Kickstarter and I'm like, I'll come in, I'll do a video. You want me to do, I can do a video, you know, <laughs> like, let me do that rules video. You know, that was the first project that I did with Mark. I mean, and I just showed up and just did my absolute best. You know, I don't even remember if I made any money on that, probably something small, but you know, I didn't care because I just love to do it. And I wanted the opportunity and I just showed up 
and did my best. And then I'm like, let's start a podcast. I'll host it. Um, <laughs> you know, we paid you so richly. You're probably right. You've made up for it in snacks, no matter what. Anyway, <laughs> that's for We've sure. We paid you in friendship. A slice of pizza back You're there. I'm about welcome. to go get and it. Waiting burritos. Okay, that's probably good. I could go on lots, but I, I'm, I'm happy with that. You happy with that, everyone? I'm happy with that, too. Cool. Okay. I'm very happy with this group. Okay, wonderful. Well, let's call it a day. This is going to be an, a nice little long episode, but I hope that people take something out of it that, you know, fills their soul a little bit or at least helps them feel like they're not alone in the pursuits that they're doing as they're going on the windy rail. Okay? Okay, so if you didn't get enough of us while you were sitting here listening to us for so long, you can go to orangenebula.com, see all the stuff we've got going on there. You can find us on... IG... Or <laughs> all over Facebook. We have multiple Facebook groups. We have the Outpost Community Group. I'm sorry, I'm killing your cadence it's here. Okay. Please post your questions for the podcast on the Outpost Community Group. We would love to answer them. The sillier, the better. And we're IG. Instagram, Facebook, Facebook groups. What else? Uh, Twitter. We're on Twitter. Nailed so it. Orange Nebula. Yeah, I'm so proud of you. All I don't of the, tweet. All, all of the handles we have are our, Orange Nebula. Our own zine. It comes out bi-weekly. <laughs> that's oh, right. Geez. Making it at Kinko's. <laughs> okay, so that's all for today. We're grateful for you. Thank you so much for coming by. Thank you, Daffron, for being on the episode My today. Pleasure. We love My having pleasure. you here. And wear those shoes tomorrow. It. It's not going to go well for you. <laughs> we will talk to you soon. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. <laughs> 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 <laughs>